Welcome to Word from the Mountaintop, a weekly inspirational podcast brought to you from the Mountain Luther Parish. Today's Word of the Lord will be shared by Pastor Jason or Pastor Jess Felici. I invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Gospel. This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And Jesus said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now people were bringing their little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the gospel of our Lord. Will you pray with me? Come close, Lord. Gather with us around your holy word and open our eyes to see your heart. Help us not only to see the law, but to see your call through it. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. It was a trap. Does the law allow a man to divorce his wife? Does the law allow a man to divorce his wife? Now this particular scripture, this gospel passage from Mark, only comes up in the lectionary once every couple of years. But somehow this particular scripture gets used as a weapon in people's lives, people whose lives are touched by divorce with much more frequency. We've all heard for a long time about this need to return to biblical marriage as God has intended it. And people who quote biblical marriage are calling for an end to all divorce and hearkening to this text and to others, sometimes even begging, pleading with a woman or a man to stay in an abusive relationship. But what really is at the heart of this passage? What is biblical marriage anyway? And how might these words spoken by Jesus thousands of years ago 
How might these words speak to us today in the 21st century? These are the questions we're going to talk about today. Let's start with the last question first. How might these words about divorce speak to us today? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I'm guessing that if I asked those who are gathered here to quietly raise their hand if they have been touched by divorce, whether they personally have been divorced or their parents or grandparents got divorced or their children went through divorce, there wouldn't be many hands left unraised in this room. Because statistically speaking, there are very few people in the world, especially in this country, whose lives aren't touched by divorce. And divorce in our day still has this overtone of shame, this, this embarrassment that we don't like to talk about it and we want to just get through this passage, Pastor, and let's just move on. Because it makes us uncomfortable. So Jesus' response to the legality of divorce in this trap that the Pharisees set for him, this, this still speaks to us today. This is still an issue that comes up for us in our lives and in the lives of people that we hold very dear. As public cries for a return to biblical marriage have heightened in the American ear over the last decades, I have found it to be an interesting exercise to look through scripture for examples of marriage, to look and see what biblical marriage might actually look like. It does not look like the marriage that's shiny and sparkly and perfect that we see in the 1950s sitcoms, right? Biblical marriage is not perfectly placed lipstick and an impeccable, impeccably kept home. In the Old Testament, we find King Solomon, who though he had a wife, had 300 concubines to go with her. And Abraham, the father of the faith, Abraham, though he had a wife, also had a Hagar, a woman with whom he laid. This is examples of, of marriage in the Bible found in the Old Testament. Now, some in this conversation would argue with me, but pastor, we're Christians, let's look at the New Testament, okay? And so let's do that. Let's, let's turn to the New Testament. Let's look and see what St. Paul says about marriage. He says it's for the weak. St. Paul names that if you can't manage your life without a partner, without a place to contain your urges, then get married, but only if you need it. That's not often a scripture that gets used in, in weddings, right? That's not one that the bride and groom come to us and ask us to, to use that scripture in their wedding ceremony. But let's look at Jesus. Jesus, oh wait, Jesus is unmarried. And we don't have an account in the Bible about the, the lives, the marriage lives of the disciples, but I'm willing to bet that most of them also were unmarried. They, they didn't have a wife and children and a farm and, and a house to keep up and, and worry about bills while they followed Jesus gallivanting all over. 
Galilee and, and Jerusalem. So we, we see this example of biblical marriage being something between 300 concubines and no wife, right? That's, that's what we find in examples of biblical marriage. But throughout all of the Bible, marriage looks nothing like it does today. There is no example of, of a bride needing to wear the perfect wedding gown with, with selfies taken of her at the, at the bridal gown shop, right? Where she's taken the beautiful dress and said yes. There, there are no $100,000 weddings with all of the bells and whistles and all the things that everybody has come to believe weddings need. That's, that's not biblical. What we do find, though, is that marriage was a part of the economic backbone of first century living. Arrangements transferred family property and inheritance from a bride's father to her husband. And often these marriage arrangements were made without any consultation of the wife herself. The bride didn't get a say in the conversation because she herself was considered to be property. She couldn't receive property or even inheritance. So Jesus, as he responds to this question sneakily laid out by the Pharisees, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus points out that Moses gave the law for how to divorce, implying that, of course, it is legal for a man to issue a certificate of divorce to his wife. But in that same breath, Jesus goes on to quote Genesis chapter 2, the, the second telling of the creation story. So let's flip there. Let's, let's go and, and dive into Genesis chapter 2 and see what scripture says about man and wife, man and woman. God and the first man are together. And, and I love the image of, of man standing there naming every creature that God brings before him. I think I'll call that one aardvark. How about elephant, right? But none of these creatures that come strolling by man seem suitable as a partner. And as God watches man name all these critters and, and look longingly for some companion, God says, it is not good that human should be alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. And now this is the part of the story that we all know, right? God causes a deep sleep to come over the man and he removes a rib from his side and from that rib he makes woman. And here's how I grew up hearing that story. Because woman came from man's side, she was made from man, she was the helper she was subservient. She was to do whatever the man said and, and help and support him. He was the leader. Not if you've heard it told that way over your life. But here's the thing. That word, helper, I will make him a helper that is perfect for him, says God. That word helper shows up in the Hebrew again in the Psalms where the writer of the Psalms, the psalmist says, God is my helper, a refuge in times of trouble. 
And surely the writer of the Psalms using that same word doesn't mean God is my second fiddle, right? God is my harmony. He means God is my rescuer. God is my companion. You see this story from Genesis of of woman being made from man. Woman is taken from man's side because she is his side by side. She is his companion, his rescuer, his helper through all things. Together they face the world. And when Adam wakes from the sleep, when man wakes from the sleep, he says, surely this is flesh of my own flesh, bone of my bone. It's no mistake that Jesus hearkens back to this story in Genesis when he's responding to the Pharisees. You see, according to the law, it was legal for a man to issue a certificate of divorce because his wife burnt the bread. But legal. It was okay. It was absolutely within the law. For a man to, I would be divorced 13 times by now. I would be on my, my hundredth husband if I was, if I was divorced every time I burnt dinner. Okay? It was legal though. And so Jesus tells them, sure, sure, it's legal. But he doesn't leave it there. Because it was not legal. It was not part of the law that a woman could divorce her husband. She had no power. She, she was only a, a piece of property in the exchange. She could not end a marriage that was not safe or not healthy. And Jesus calls back to the creation of woman in this second chapter of Genesis and says that God created them, male and female, side by side partners to face the world. Now this is pretty radical. This this is not a quiet nudge. This would have rattled the Pharisees' bones. As they were leaving that conversation, they would have been plotting a way to kill that man and his dangerous teaching. Wait, that's really what they do. (laughs) That makes more sense now, doesn't it? That even in talking about divorce, Jesus is radical. And he, he, as though it wasn't explicit enough in his exchange with the disciples, Jesus says explicitly that if a man divorces his wife and then remarries, he commits adultery. And the second half of that is often used as a weapon against a woman, that she shouldn't remarry because then she would be an adulteress, not just divorced, but an adulteress. Because Jesus says if a woman divorces her husband... She becomes an adulteress. But that's not the radical part. The radical part is that Jesus says, if a woman divorces her husband, Jesus gives permission for that to even exist. And that wasn't a part of the law. He gives agency. He lifts up the woman as equal partner in marriage. 
Divorce has been weaponized. We have been made to feel great shame as sinners if we have been divorced. But I got news for us that we need to remember. There isn't a single person in the world who is not already a sinner. There is no one who escapes the grasp of sin in their lives, so that shouldn't be the scary part. Jesus isn't pointing out that divorce is all bad. Jesus is pointing out that divorce leaves women and children vulnerable without power. And that's still true today. The leading cause for people who enter poverty in our day in 2021, the leading cause for poverty is divorce. And the most at-risk people for that poverty in instances of divorce are women and children. This is a word for us to pay attention. Is it legal? Yes. But is it moral? Who will suffer and what will you do about it? Well, now it doesn't feel like we're talking about divorce anymore, does it? This is a conversation that can be carried on almost any topic these days. Is it legal? Sure, probably. But who's gonna be disenfranchised? Who gets left out? Who's vulnerable? And what are we gonna do about it? And then this crazy thing happens in the gospel lesson. It's kind of like we're trucking along and we're having this really uncomfortable conversation about divorce and then the children's Sunday school lets out and they all come pouring into the sanctuary, right? There's this uncomfortable moment where all these parents are bringing their children to Jesus. And my children's sermon at Mount Hope today, I said, I asked the kids, raise your hand if a grown-up has ever said, stop interrupting the grown-ups, right? I I said this to my own kids twice this morning before we got out the door for church. <laughs> Stop interrupting the grown-ups. It's what the disciples say to the kids. They're having this intense conversation about divorce and, and who's a sinner. And Jesus is daring to say that women have just as much claim to make a divorce happen as men. And everybody's kind of sweaty and uncomfortable. And the kids come and get in trouble. But there's an important piece to remember about children in this day and age, okay? In Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes a little child and he lifts that child up and he places it on his lap. That's what it says in the Greek. He places it. And he says that, places it on his lap because children, well, children were even less than property. They didn't count until they were old enough to do labor around the house. They were nothings in society in Jesus' day. You've heard us talk over the years about how Jesus empowers the last and the little and the least and the lowly, right? This is Jesus demonstrating that who matters in these hard conversations are the forgotten, the littlest, 
the least, the lowliest, and he pulls them to himself. And I love this image. As Jesus is talking to the grown-ups about all this uncomfortable stuff, I imagine that he's at the bottom of a dog pile of children, right? You, have, have you ever been there, like at Christmas time, and, and some dad goes down under the pile of all the kids, right? That's the picture that I imagine as Jesus is talking about divorce. Jesus gets swamped by children, and he lays hands on them and blesses them and demonstrates to everybody that who matters to Jesus in the kingdom are the people that we forget, are the people that have no power, no, no presence. It's as though he says to everyone in the room who's ever felt like they weren't important enough, that not only do you matter, but it matters that you take up space here. You not only deserve to exist, but I see you and I claim you and you belong. Jesus re-centers the entire conversation about the legalities of divorce onto the vulnerable, making sure that we don't get lost in what is legal and lose sight about what is moral. May our hearts be guided by this principle, that we tune in to what is moral, who is vulnerable, and how our actions impact the lives of others. May we always strive to make room at the table for others. And may we share the radical good news that those who never heard it, those who've never realized it, are welcome. They are welcomed and they are loved by our Savior. Thanks be to God. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And for further messages from our clergy, feel free to visit wordfromthemountaintop.org.